It's good to be back with you guys. Um, I got lots of interesting feedback from my dog butt theology statements last week. And uh, if you don't get that, you just need to go check it out. It's unrepeatable. So it probably will take me out of the running from ever political ambitions, you know, because of those things you say that you like want to pull them back, but that's all right. Um, We've been been studying uh, the attributes of those who are in Christ, that particularly that you are holy, that you are righteous. And uh, last week we talked about how do you deal with with the presence of sin? And and if you are a holy, righteous saint, then what does that mean? And uh, something I've said many times, I'll just kind of pass by, is I'll, I'll use a phrase, the scripture, that you have the mind of Christ. And so I figured that tonight would be a good night to actually jump into that area. And this is probably going to be a two-part kind of message. And the first is going to be just a, I want to give you a three-dimensional view of the truth. And I apologize up front for a lot of scripture. And uh, I'll email anybody who wants this, no problem. So don't take notes and try and get the references because it's going to go fast. The, the point is, it's we need to look at the angles of the scripture and how it illuminates this topic. And um, so the mind of Christ is kind of a pretty significant statement, don't you think? I mean, that's kind of heavy. That's like significant of like, wow, that sounds pretty important. But every Christian, every believer has the mind of Christ. Can you say this? Say, I have the mind of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try that again. I have the mind of Christ. Say that. Amen. And if you have the mind of Christ, that means a whole lot of things. That means that the mind of Christ is where you possess and contain understanding. The mind of Christ is the mechanism for how you hear the voice of God. The mind of Christ is the inspiration for all prophecy. The mind of Christ is where revelation originates. And I'm going to stop on that particular one and talk about revelation. And I want us to look at exactly the context of how we can understand the revelation within the mind of Christ. We're not talking about the book of Revelation, but we're talking about revelation, meaning that things are revealed through our minds. And so uh, the passage that best articulates uh, the description of revelation in the context of is 1 Corinthians 2.10. I'm going to read it for you. It says, these things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the, their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Real quick, pause. Where's the spirit of God? It's in us. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand, everyone say understand, what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not, everyone say not. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So first thing tonight is revelation is the unveiling of the spiritual realities, truths, and thoughts of God. 
If there's one definition about revelation, it's this. It's the unveiling of spiritual realities, truths, and the thoughts of God. It's actually connecting to the actual thoughts of God. That's pretty big. I don't think it gets much bigger than that. And it's revealing truth. It's revealing these realities that already are existing. They're in existence. Verse 11, if you caught it, it says, For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And it goes on and says, we have received the spirit of God. So we pull those together and we have that understanding. We can understand that we contain the spirit and the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. That's already within us. That's already by default in your nature. But by definition, revelation reveals things, things that are already in existence. First, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 3.16 says this about it. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord the veil is taken away. What does that mean? That whenever in turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It means that revelation is the response to seeking God. You turn and seek God as you do, the realities are unveiled. As you seek God, he says, you turn to me, the veils are lifted. So basically that revelation increases as relationship deepens. You want more revelation, you want more understanding, you want to be more connected with God. It's actually about relationship. If you were to take like my bio, which is kind of funky, you'd be like, that guy sounds really weird. But if you want to like know who I am, if you want to know the things that I, I spend time thinking about, the things that I, I'm passionate about, the things that I'm opinionated on, you have to spend time with me. You have to spend time like just hanging out, doing stupid things, and that naturally comes out. And the same thing is with revelation, is that revelation is the product of time spent in relationship. That when we seek revelation, God doesn't just want to simply um, have us read about God. He doesn't want us just to read about him, like the Bible's great, don't get me wrong, but you can't experience something by reading about it. It's like saying, here's a roller coaster, read about it, and you've experienced it. But if you've ever experienced a roller coaster, you know there's nothing like actually being on it. And the same is with Revelation, is that when we experience Revelation, we are encountering the closest proximity that we in our nature here can be with God. Because it says that the spirit which we contain searches the deep things about God. How many know that Jesus changed the status of our relationship with him. He says in John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I have made known to you. Number two is revelation is the natural. Everyone say natural. Revelation is the natural result of having the Holy Spirit. Revelation is part of the promise of the Holy Spirit. You can't take yourself away from the promise of revelation because you have the promise of the Holy Spirit and you have the promise of the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ. Jesus said in John 16, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That sounds pretty thorough, all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. Have you ever asked a question where someone just like gives you like, what'd you say? You know, like look at you like you have three heads. Like one of those things is you can ask somebody, so what do you think God thinks about that? Or what do you think God has been placing on your heart? What is on his mind? What is, it, what is he thinking about this situation? And maybe not so much in this crowd because we're, we're pretty with it. But many times we're like, I don't know, what are you talking about? 
I've been in groups where, large groups like this, and I've, I've asked, how many people experience and hear the voice of God? And it's just like, hmm, I'm not a weirdo. You know, it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, like you kind of have like the weird kind of like angle of like some Christians that they're a little oversaved maybe. And, and <laughs> But it seems like when you talk about hearing the voice of God, you almost like are embarrassed. Like, I don't want to be the weird person, you know? <laughs> But it's natural Christian behavior to hear the voice of God. It's natural to be connected with him. Think of it this way. God wouldn't give you the mind of Christ. He wouldn't give you a mind that never had any thoughts. If he's given you the mind of Christ, surely that mind is thinking things by its own definition. It's not there just for, you know, like a desk ornament. It's like, it, it's functional, and you don't need to strive for it. It's not like, like a satellite dish. You know, if you want a particular channel, you know, you got to get a satellite dish. You got to pay the cable. You got to do those things. No, it's, it comes default. It's like the factory settings. It is the, the uh, no antenna, basic cable side of our faith. But revelation is for you and you are destined to have it and walk in it. I'm sensing just like, I'm not sure. Let me reiterate that. Revelation is for you. You are destined to walk in it. You are destined to have it. But here's one thing I've learned is that it's hard to hear something that you aren't listening for. It's hard to hear something that you aren't listening for. You can be at a restaurant and you can have like a one-on-one -on -one dialogue. There's all sorts of conversations going on, right? Have you ever like caught like a unique word that popped out and like it all of a sudden took your attention there? And like, and a rectum. And you're like, what's it? And just, you know, it captures you. It's terrible. Oh, gosh, man. That's the best I could come up with. But it's like that when, when you think, you're like, man, there is Jesus. He is speaking. And I can tune into what he might be speaking. Because you can't hear it unless you believe that it's there and that it's, it's present. But other people say, well, you know, God doesn't speak to me and he doesn't purpose that for me. That's not part of my relationship with him. I just say bull. What father doesn't speak to his child? That's a pretty crappy father if you ask me. Amen? Is anybody here? That's a pretty crappy father if someone never speaks to their son or their daughter. Perhaps it's because when you say, I don't hear the voice of God, you actually are participating in the noise and the doubt that's going to cause all the confusion about what you could be hearing. Maybe you're not hearing because you have clouded your mind with all the doubt of like, well, I'm not that person, that doesn't happen to me. That's so old school stuff where that only happens in weird parts of the world. But what I've learned is that lies are always louder than the truth. Someone say amen. Lies are always louder than the truth. That's why we have to work so hard to undo them. John 8, 47 puts this so clearly. It says, whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. But many of us switch that around. It says, well, if I hear what God says, then I belong to him. He doesn't say it that way. He says, whoever belongs to him, hears what God says. Meaning that identity establishes connection to conversation. Who you are in Christ makes you qualified, gives you access, establishes the red phone upstairs to Jesus. You don't need to go out and buy a phone. You don't need to do any of that stuff. It doesn't make you who you are. Who you are gives you access to hear God. 
And if you're not hearing what God is saying, it might be because he isn't speaking. That's okay too. There's seasons where maybe he isn't. But the question is, are you listening? Sometimes we get so busy and like, what should I do that we never think of like, what is God saying? And there's times where, where God is like, you're doing great. I love it. You know, ask me, you want to talk about something? That's cool. But sometimes we're like waiting, like, God, do I put on the flip-flops or the, you know, other shoes? And, and I, I think sometimes we have to have freedom in our relationship to say that I've given you the mind of Christ to make decisions on your own and to use wisdom and to use your own initiative. Psalm 37, 4 says, he will give us the desires of our heart. Let's not forsake that he has given us our own decisions. Another thing I've learned painfully is if you aren't hearing from God, maybe you are asking the questions he doesn't want to talk about. If you aren't hearing from God, maybe you are trying to talk to him about things he doesn't want to talk about. For example, long stretch of my life, I, I thought that God only wanted to talk about what I was doing wrong. Can anybody sympathize with that? It's like, I can't talk to you, God, because I got all this other wrong stuff I probably need to bring up first. And I, I thought that surely that God only wanted to talk about sin, struggle, and failure, and strife. He was like, well, the only really topic you can have with God is about sin, forgiveness, or redemption. But I think he's like, that's old news. I think he's like, I really dealt with that thoroughly 2,000 years ago on a big T. It was really cool then. I think he's like, man, I, I know how you feel. I hear your heart. But I want to talk about something else. I think the reason that I walked through a period of time is that I was so focused on talking to God about my failure and my sin and my struggle. He was like, I'm not going to talk to you about that. Because it's going to reaffirm all this negative stuff that you, you're seeking for. I think sometimes like, I felt like that... Um, God was saying, I'm not going to engage with you in that because it's baiting you for discouragement. You know, like in uh, the story of the prodigal son, you know, the son comes back, right? And he falls down on his knees like, Father, forgive me. And you know what the father said? Nothing. He said nothing about I forgive you. He said nothing. He didn't even like address it. He called for the fattened calf and the big ring on the finger and all those cool stuff like the robe. I mean, why don't we do that these days? That sounds really cool. But you know, he didn't address it. Why? Because he knew that the dialogue of the shame would keep him further in shame. And so I wonder sometimes about us when, man, it, I wonder if God's like, is there anything else we can talk about? <laughs> I think he wants us to look ahead. Number three is the purpose of revelation is not to make you smarter, it's to bring transformation. The purpose of revelation is not to make you smarter, it comes to bring transformation. Revelation is not the purpose to fill your head with knowledge for knowledge's sake. Ephesians 1 says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I love it. The goal of revelation is deeper encounter with Jesus. It's not to make you smarter, but to give you deeper insight into the mind and the personhood of Christ that would lead you into divine encounters. And the more you get to know someone, 
the deeper the relationship is. It's kind of like friends I have, like Waterbury or Sean or, or whoever. You know, you know how sometimes you have to like walk through like a period of like small talk, and then you can like wander into some more serious stuff. But like I have friends like we just. Yeah, I don't want to talk about the small stuff. How are you doing in this? You know, like last time we talked about that, like let's go back there. And Revelation, what it does is it gets you past the surfacey stuff and back into the deeper places. And God is, is continually wanting to accelerate you into those deeper places because he wants you to know him and he wants to know you. John 17, three says, this is eternal life right here. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. Heaven on earth is not that we'd see angels here with harps, big clouds, roads paved with gold. No, that's not it at all. Eternal life, heaven on earth is actually that we would be in such divine communion with Christ, that we'd be in such divine relationship with him that we don't have to wait for heaven for us to be connected with him. Sometime I thought like, well, heaven's where, you know, I really get religious or something. Um, But Jesus is like, I've purposed this time on earth for you to know me and it's accessible to have full measure here. And I've learned that God isn't interested in helping me have better explanations of things. That's not why he gives revelation. He's interested in living through me. He's not purposing revelation. He's not purposing his thoughts to you to have a better explanation. He's purposing it in you so that you would live and transform the world. Number four is revelation is purposed for action. God doesn't give you revelation just for a FYI. It's not a, just so you know, in case you run across any Christian trivia facts. It's not for that. Matthew, 20, Matthew 10, 26 says, do not be afraid of them. He's referring to the Pharisees who have all knowledge, who are the greatest um, students of the word. And they have all the rules, all the regulations. They're the smartest people. Do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from roofs. You can't read a book about what God is saying to you right now. The only way to hear what God is saying to you now is to be in his presence, is to be in revelation. You can look all over the Bible like, God, what are you? I mean, I I get that he'll lead us into scripture, but that scripture is a revealing scripture. It applies to us now. And when we hear it, when we receive it, the point is that we make it known to others. You receive revelation and then you release it. You release it to others around you. He gives it to you so that you can give. Are you with me? The promise of Abraham, uh, they talk about like, well, you're blessed and all nations will be blessed by you. That's a biblical principle that God blesses so that you can be a blessing. That's his divine purpose in great things that happen to us. Every spiritual blessing is not just for us like, oh, I'm so blessed. Yes, Facebook status, blessed. You know, it's not that. It's to be a blessing. But he chooses to work through you. He's not interested in revelation hoarding at all. He gives it to you so that you would give it away. And God is like, he, he wants you to have the credit. He honestly wants you to have the credit. He wants you to be the vehicle. God, as we know in the Old Testament, he used a donkey, as Eric Waterbury once shared in greater vocabulary. <laughs> Our iTunes rating got vulgar ratings because of that message. No, I'm just kidding. Explicit. Um, 
but God is not, he is, he's, he's not beneath using animals to communicate. He's not beneath using angels, burning bushes. He's done some crazy things if he really wants to get the message across, but he lives in us. He's given you the mind of Christ that you would be the participant in it. That's pretty rad. So the question is like, take inventory, like, wow, if that's really the case, how am I doing? Is that what my life is kind of like? The weirdest thing, I was, I was driving by on the way here tonight, and uh, there's a car that was, was stopped, and I, I pulled around, and I was like, I need to go push that person. I don't know, I just felt like, so I threw my truck in park, and grabbed a buddy, and we went and pushed the car out of the way, and it was like this weird thing, like, go and be that person's encounter right now. As a gal, and she just was on her phone, and she was like all panicked, on the freeway, on the off-ramp, all there on Bradshaw. But we're purposed that we would have a divine idea, a divine revelation, a divine thought, like, wow, I should care now, and then I act. I respond out of it. So many Christians, what they're doing is they're trying to figure out the plan. They're trying to figure out what do I do? What is my business plan for my life, for my mission statement, for my faith, all those different things. You know, Jesus was not like, whew, I'm glad I have a, you know, a great strategy. I have a, a three-ring binder of all the things I'm going to accomplish, you know? He didn't do that. You have people that are radically just going through the roof to try and encounter him. And wherever Jesus encountered people, he responded. You know that Galatians 6, 9 says, as you have the opportunity, do good. It's not like, think of all these great things to do and go do it. As, As you have the opportunity. Why? Because you have the mind of Christ to see spiritual realities, to hear his thoughts about other people. So who's Revelation purposed for? Colossians 1.26 kind of tells us, says the mystery, have you guys seen like these themes? Mysteries revealed, you know, all these things, secrets known, previously unknown, all these things. This is the same theme. First, uh, chapter one, verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. That's all of us. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Gentiles, who are the Gentiles? People who don't know God. You're like, well, I, don't, I haven't gone to the Middle East in a long time. No, it's anybody who doesn't know God. Someone thought that was funny. <laughs> Number five is that you often hear on behalf of those who, not, who cannot hear for themselves. Revelation is purpose that you often hear on behalf of those who cannot hear for themselves. How many has, in this room, has ever logically convinced somebody to relationship with Christ? Anybody? Well. <laughs> Anybody ever know someone like a bullhorn that's like, repent! And like, they have like this blossoming ministry. They're like, people stopping their cars, getting out. Such a good point, yeah. Why didn't I think of that? Like, you don't see that. Someone say amen. Is that right? The problem is that rationale, details, history, and facts about God, they're very challenging. They're very challenging to win someone's heart for God. You can't, I don't think you can win someone's heart through their mind. I'm just saying. But what I do know is that God's heart, connected to their heart, wins a lot of people. I've never reasoned somebody to Christ, but I have been the hands and feet of Jesus. I have been the person who has delivered an awkward piece of information or we are just like, I feel this way and it totally made sense for them and it totally made God real for them. 
Because it's, it's easy to resist rationale, details, and all those facts, but it's hard to resist responding to God's thoughts about you. If you've been around people with a prophetic gift, you know that when they deliver such precise and detailed information that only God can know, and they speak it to you, and then they give you an affirmation, you know that you've encountered the Spirit of God. I don't care what your history book says. I don't care what science taught you. Intellect is about the head, but revelation is about the heart. We have an issue where we have all these people that are too busy giving an explanation about God and are never giving them an encounter with God. Amen? We are so caught up that we have to explain the Trinity. Oh, I mean, I can't get someone saved without the Trinity here being explained. And let me draw you a chart. And here's like two cliffs and a T, you know. Like we do those things. And we, we are so busy trying to explain that we never get into the actual encounter with Jesus. But I found that sometimes people would rather give an explanation than an encounter. Why? Because it's safer. It's like, well, they didn't think my analogy was too clever. It's more risky to say, can I just tell you something I think that maybe God is saying? How much more intense is that? That sounds like the mind of Christ to me. I mean, treasure hunts freak me out because I'm someone who likes to like control, predict, plan, schedule. And it's none of those things, but, but the mind of Christ isn't that. If you want to exercise the mind of Christ, show up for some of these treasure hunts. I'm telling you, it's crazy. We've had phenomenal things like that happen where it's the random things and, and when you see them, you know, God, you're leaving breadcrumbs, you are leaving hints, you're leaving clues. But the second reason why I think that we're giving explanations versus encounters is that many of us are not used to our own encounters. How many of you can't give somebody something you don't have? How are we expecting people to give encounters with Christ if we're not ourselves having encounters? You shouldn't be coming here to have the encounters. I mean, like we, we do, it's great. But we don't come here to like be fed. We come here to be equipped and encouraged and sent out. The encounters are supposed to happen actually out there. But we are so used to being tied with our minds and these explanations that we are incapable of our own personal encounters. And so people are rejecting the idea of God without ever encountering the heart of God. Paul didn't go, you know, like we don't read the New Testament and say like, and Paul did a course on apologetics and the young earth creation theory. You know, he didn't do any of that stuff. In fact, look what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1. He says, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. What you bring someone to salvation through is what you tie their salvation to. You bring them through intellect, through knowledge, through cleverness, through denouncing all other religions. You aren't actually connecting them to the spirit. You're connecting them to the thoughts of their mind and the intellect. And you wage the war there. I mean, you're just setting yourself up for them to have a really tough time because they never got the encounter. And Paul here says, I intentionally did not want to know anything about you so you would know that when I spoke and when I met you and the power of God was there that you would know without a doubt that I had no cheating. 
And he's saying that is what's convincing, not that you would rest your salvation on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. And the, the thing about people epic is that we have a whole lot of people that are accustomed with encounters with God. And that's great because people who have encounters shall give encounters. That's one of the best things about here. It's not that we have great music that we do. It's not because we have free pizza because that's awesome. It's not because we have surfboards that have like cool things on them. I mean, that's great, right? The awesome thing is, is that there's something that's larger than just a whole butts and butts and seats that we can actually go out and give people a taste of what Jesus is like. That's how we try to measure fruit. Are people able to lead people in other personal encounters? Almost done. Number six, applied revelation leads to promotion. Applied revelation leads to promotion. Crazy story here. I'm going to read it real fast. This is Peter, Matthew 16. And this is Jesus saying, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And right here, you just hear like Peter doing one of these guys, you know, swinging. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Talk about that for Peter. I mean, I think he's like spiking a football, doing a little moonwalk. I mean, he's like pumped to hear that. He's like, can I have that in writing? That would look really good on my resume. He, he just knocked it out of the park here. So how do you get more revelation? You steward the revelation that you already have. You got to do something with it. Peter, he could have been silent, but he jumped in. He says, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus answers, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and I'll build my church on you and Hades will not overpower you. God is looking for people who don't love the world to entrust the world to. God is looking for people to entrust the world to. He's looking for people who don't love the world to entrust the world to. He is so cautious that he wants your heart to be connected to his that he can entrust you with the world. But Peter acted on his revelation and he was told all these wonderful things. Jesus also gives this instruction on revelation. In Luke 8, he says, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider how you listen. Consider how you listen. Maybe right now just ask, how am I listening to God? Consider how you listen forever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken away from them. If you're not hearing from God, maybe it's because the last time he spoke, there wasn't much response. Let me say that again. If you aren't hearing from God, maybe it's because the last time he spoke, there wasn't much response. God is moved when you're moved. Amen? God is moved when you are moved. Finally, number seven, is you can have the right revelation, but the wrong response. You can have the right revelation, but the wrong response. So let me pick up here again in Matthew 16. Peter's doing like his little dance, spiking the football. And then from that time on, Jesus began to explain his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter, who has the keys of the kingdom, took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) Never, Lord. 
This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. If, if Peter had a tail, it'd be between his legs right then. He's like whimpering off the view. How, how big of a bummer is that, that Jesus gives you the greatest compliment? I think of anybody else I've seen in the Bible. I mean, that was a pretty affirming thing. And then he calls him, get behind me, Satan? In this, like, what about two verses ago? Remember what you just said there? I mean, like, really? That is kind of harsh. But what that means is that because you have the mind of Christ does not prohibit you from being an idiot. Because you have the mind of Christ, it does not prohibit you from being an idiot. And revelation is subject to validation, to judgment of others and the word. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, plural, whether they are from God. How many of you know that like, great math equation that spirits means more than one spirit? Means there might be something besides the Holy Spirit. And you wouldn't need to test something if something didn't kind of look, sound like, touch like, feel like, smell like. It's testing the spirits. We have lots of spirits. We have the spirit of wisdom revelation. We also have spirits of deception. We have all sorts of critters running around. <laughs> A lie is believable by nature. So when we say like test the spirits, we know that it's probably going to sound and feel like and that's important to know because in Revelation it can be really dangerous because just because you feel something doesn't mean it doesn't need to be examined. We say, oh, I feel from God and I'm now completely absolved from any examination and, and, and analysis or any look in either uh, deeper relationship. That's the hard thing. People who are really gifted in Revelation, sometimes they just want to like blow it all up and just go on their own. It's tough. When you are hearing the thoughts of God, you really get confident. But here's the challenge is that there is biblical revelation, there is extra-biblical revelation, and then there's anti-biblical revelation. Biblical revelation is something that's an exact example in the word. Extra-biblical revelation is something that isn't exactly in the word, but you're taking principles, you're taking thoughts, much of like how we teach here. It's kind of extra-biblical. We draw the scriptures to look at another concept, another truth that we can deduce. And then there's anti-biblical revelation. What does that mean? It means that God is not going to use the mind of Christ to give you revelation on something he has already condemned. I was at lunch with somebody who's married, and he's got this girl, like this, you know, co-worker or somebody. He's like, man, we got this chemistry and it's just this really God thing. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not a God thing. He's not going to lead you out of your marriage and for a divorce because she's hot. Like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. He's not going to do that. And so that's where the revelation for us comes in is that if you know Romans 12, 2, 12, 2, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds so that what? We can test and approve. Meaning my revelation, no matter how good it is in here, I'm actually subject to all of you because you have the mind of Christ. My revelation for you is subject to your discernment because you also have the mind of Christ. I'm subjected to you. I don't know how that feels for you, but that's how it is. We're subjected to one another. But Peter, being revealed to him that Jesus was the Christ, then two moments later, responds to Jesus by telling him that the cross isn't going to happen. Right revelation, wrong response to it. And here's the final thing I want the band come up. 
is that we need to know that revelation comes in part. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, for we now see only reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Peter didn't know that the other part of the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah is that the Messiah shall be on a cross and risen in three days. He was right. He's totally right. Great heart, great intention. We want to applaud Peter for the effort there. But it was the wrong response to Revelation. And we are part of the body. And I need you. And you need one another. And we need this thing, this mind of Christ to be used. It's like having a Ferrari in your garage and being completely ignorant about it. They're made fast to go fast, amen? I mean, by its very definition, it's been given to you to be used. The the mind of Christ has thoughts, and those thoughts need to get out, and those thoughts are needed among our community, our body, our generation, and they need to be active and alive. So I'm going to stop it there, and next week I'm going to talk about, but what about mystery? Does that mean that we understand all things? And what about unanswered questions? I'm sure we have lots of things like, but wait, you know, I got something And what is the role of revelation when things don't work out our way? Things happen, right? I had revelation and and stuff didn't work out. And what about when you have revelation for somebody else? What happens then? Are you responsible for it? What's the role there? And does God hide revelation from people? So this week was a lot more the table setting so we understand the three-dimensional view of how God looks at revelation. Next week we're gonna talk about some specific applications. So that's it, I love you guys.